Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Andre Culleton, and today we discuss a film that has had a very popular update, Oscar-nominated, Emma Watson featuring Greta Gerwig Romp, but today we're going back in time to talk about the 1994 adaptation of Little Women from director Gillian Armstrong. The movie stars Winona Ryder, Claire Danes, Kirsten Dunst, Trini Alvarado, Christian Bale, Susan Sarandon, and Gabriel Byrne in a story based on Louisa May Alcott's classic novel. Alcott based the book on the life of her family growing up in and around the Massachusetts area. Speaking of Massachusetts, I grew up with today's guest who was such a good sport in their last TCO appearance, watching Mrs. Doubtfire under a slight bit of duress back for a movie that we watched multiple times as kids you could say it was a family favorite it was released on their 11th birthday christmas day 1994 a big welcome and a very very happy birthday to today's christmas show episode guest my sibling al and welcome al thanks john i'm so happy to be back on the pod and i just love you so much you light of my life <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, your episode is by far the most popular episode of the TCU. So I would say take that, Zachary Drucker, from you, right? Direct quote. <laughs> no, I'm a huge fan of Zachary's. Please don't take that. This is my Z-Way um, kick. I'm really glad that the Mrs. Doubtfire episode... <laughs> I'm really glad the Mrs their episode was popular i definitely have had people from my life who took the time to listen um just be so impressed with us <laughs> as, as the weirdos that we are and um and how gay mm. we are and um it's not easy but i think we make it it's, look yeah easy. we make it look uh look classy and simple and cool and fashionable and everything we're the dynamic duo of the Culleton siblings I guess iconic now so that's queer lore everyone and legacy work we're gonna turn our attention now to our nostalgia scan it goes from a scale of zero to 100 as usual and it's powered by the realty but what do you think I put in here Al? <laughs> oh my god okay um that's a really good question. Okay, maybe it's a little bit of the copy that they're carrying in the first scene. You know, that would have been a really good one. That piping hot coffee that Joe is like. Okay, okay, wait. Is it is it water from the ice pond that Amy I falls into? I choose something that, uh, regarding Amy. The orange from the Christmas no, table? No, I lied. Or limes. limes. I had to choose the limes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the lime. Yeah, I think, lime. you know, it was just Yes, it's a so huge memorable. thing in the story. Lime plot point. I just thought it was so funny. Um, so, yeah, we put that in there. And, uh, you know, if you don't have limes, you're nothing and you might as well be dead. So we have limes in there. We're... Oh, my God. 
<laughs> the machine is raring to go. How much nostalgia do we really have for the 1994 Little Women out? Would you like me to go first? No, I want okay, to go first. Please, Steph. I listen to every episode of this podcast and I don't think anyone's ever, ever done that inside. <laughs> No, uh, please. I'm opening the door for you. No, I'm brave. And I also like have been thinking about this and I'm like, Scamming. I don't, I just don't think there's much that's more nostalgic for me than this film. Um, it brings me back to a really good time in my life and my childhood and I was always really connected with history and like the history of where we grew up in Boston and um I always preferred old things to new things although I did I was also a 90s child we both were and we had our we had our TNMT and everything but really like very drawn to those things and um I don't know. I think it's like a 98 for me. It's just so close to the most nostalgic movie I can think of in my life. And I've watched it many times as an adult, too. I just it's like a comfort movie for me. It's a Christmas movie for me. Um, Yeah, 98. Absolutely. I'm curious about what you'll say, though. Scanning. I mean, it's going to be a full 100 for me just because I think what happened was like, it's it's one of those movies for me, but then also it's Massachusetts, which I don't know what I gave like a league of their own, but I would say like, it's pro- probably like a 95 or, or uh, to 100. And I'm just thinking like Massachusetts almost bumps it up in this in this weird way, because if we're talking about nostalgia, yes. I mean, like just even like that one time that there was that, that blizzard and like we walked outside and just like sunk through feet of snow um just things like that <laughs> like like massachusetts is christmas time and christmas time is snowy and like also your birthday and everything so it's all like wrapped up in that that and plus like as a movie person it's like Winona for me is a whole other like bank of nostalgia. Um, somebody that like I would dream to direct and someone who like is always very like strange, just like a, a weirdo person that didn't like fit into a box. And is not the best actor <laughs> in the movie by leaps and bounds. I mean, she's she's play, she plays a version of herself, sure. in my All opinion. That that matches up with the character, yeah. Um, but yes, I'm surprised that you went higher than me. But I think I stand by it. I'm sure there's like one thing in the world that's more nostalgic for me, but I can't see the thing. I'm surprised at you as well, just because of the Christian Bale of it all too. I just feel like newsies and like what back then it was just like, I don't know, there's like a yesteryear. This is before he yelled at that lighting person and everything. I'm feeling nostalgia for It's before he like but isn't he like an abuser too? Like he before he truly fell from grace in my eyes. Like he um he was Yeah. I just um yeah, I mean that's something I I wanted to Yeah, about for sure. When we're talking about this movie is just the the fact that he 
those two roles for him um, in Newsies and as Laurie in Little Women were like such style icons, icons for me yeah, growing up. That's, that's mostly what I'm getting at. Yeah. So yeah, well, surprise, but 98 is super high and my 100, I think, is not overblown, honestly, especially since it is Christmas time. I mean, what am I supposed to do? There's like multiple Christmases. <laughs> we're back some technical um difficulties from some um heterosexual uh trash that just hit the rocket ship but we're back <laughs> so, and also i just want to say that like i do understand that in terms of queerness even race anything it's not like the most diverse movie uh but it does it has like the saving grace of dealing with like very core human issues so there's like the detraction from nostalgia is low for me because I'm just like well like the you know the human emotions are so universal that I think they could be felt by everyone but I do want to note that I understand that this is such a fucking white movie it's it's uh pretty egregious and also like they talk about you know how the marches are a very understanding of how to stand up in a practical way against slavery but like we don't like that's all we really um, touch on for issues of POC people of the time. So, um, but yeah. yeah, but I'm trash. So I'm just uh, 100 people bop. Nostalgia just uh, bopping for me, I guess. <laughs> um, what is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I get it. No, it's also like we are, we are late and we grew up in Massachusetts. So we saw ourselves in yeah, the movie. Yeah, totally. unfortunately yes (laughs) right you know um so that's part of it but it's um, yeah very a very afab um catered to to afab movie um which we are so (laughs) yeah it's one of those movies that i think that it's one of those movies that i think a lot of assigned male children at the time were not encouraged to mm. watch um because parents were afraid that it would make them it does gay or worse <laughs> yes. well it would have i know and every gay man i know that's my age i'm like you must have watched Little totally Women. totally or anne of green gables even worse <laughs> even worse make you canadian right. and gay so <laughs> yeah <laughs> We start our synopsis um, opening on a Massachusetts winter, and it's Christmas Eve. It's very fucking cold, you can tell. Joe explains to us in a narrative, that in a narration, that, uh, you know, family has been a little broke as of late, but that the March family is, is a cool one to be a part of, essentially, and there's this kind of, like, everything will be fine as long as we have each other vibe. And we meet yeah, we meet right. the cast of characters, the women of the family. Uh, Daddy is gone to war, but Susan Sarandon is Marmy. Uh, she is getting back home and talking about the charity work. So beautiful. So, beautiful. so fucking hot. So beautiful. <laughs> Disturbingly good looking, especially in this movie. I was like watching this movie the other night and I was like, Susan Sarandon was so young. Sure. <laughs> 
almost 30 yeah, years and she ago. pretty much looks the same and it's uh yeah it's wild but um so yeah susan it's wild. wild um susan is there and she's talking about yeah this charity work and you know the fact that they're broke already you can see that the family is like very very self-sacrificing they're teaching their daughters how to be selfless we meet Joe, who is Winona Ryder, little Amy, who's Kirsten Dunst, and Beth, who's Claire Danes, and Meg, who's Trini Alvarado. They they jam on this uh, like shitty piano that Beth plays. Yeah. <laughs> they peel off this song to straight up go to bed with the candles so it's like they're yeah. like do do kiss and then like Beth like gets up off the piano so the piano music stops and then they're going up for you know Christmas night uh and I wrote down somebody doesn't know how to wind down this is all riled up yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is not how you do it um yeah it's really interesting it's like those first the scene like the landscape and everything looking around the town of concord and the light yeah. at that hour like it just so captures like what did i i wrote like it's like 4 36 yes. p.m <laughs> on December or like actually on December 24th it's like 4 16 p.m or something but it's like this very like it's so yeah. specific and they did such a good job mm -hmm. with that um I also like later want to just make a note that we should talk about kind of how like Christmas had evolved by mm. this time because there's somebody dragging a Christmas yeah. tree yes. down, <laughs> getting it home and that was like a really new that was like a tradition that was only like 15 right. years old at the time in anglo-american culture yeah. so. <laughs> just a little bit of history um and now we get our first like sort of big queer moment i would argue because we have joe writing in an attic bedroom with a cat i mean gay so <laughs> that's gay. I said immediately we see Joe doing male writer <laughs> cosplay in her Garrett studio. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is, I mean, she's got yeah. that little bust. What is that, William Shakespeare? Um, she had, you know, oh, it's man. like just this whole thing of like um, who she wants to be like, who she's modeling her life like, even though it's not on the outward yet. It's all internal thinking because of possibility. As we'll see, possibility is yeah. a huge theme in this movie. Amy's, of mm -hmm. course, obsessing over that citrus, as you mentioned uh, in the nostalgia scan. They are sort of gagging over this, like, fucking dinner that Hannah, who is, can you clarify, is this a maid? I think she's Irish. She's <laughs> What's yeah, I honestly? think she's she's <laughs> Irish and she's their housekeeper. Sure. And she's been with them a long time. Right. She's like a member of the family. I would assume she lives there. Pay her. But I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> How else do they pay her? I don't know. I mean, it's the kind of thing where if uh, during something like the Civil War when resources right. are short, um, like it's like where would she have gone i mean you know if she's like kind of part of yeah the, i don't know but yes hannah so the, i think it's kind of like a breakfast or like a christmas what we brunch, might call a brunch yeah. that she's prepared and 
Yeah, Amy, immediately you see Amy is, like, very covetous. Because Hannah says... And she's, like, holding the orange. (laughs) Oh, right, right. She's holding the orange (laughs) under her chin. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But then... Yeah, and she's, like, so... But she's also so little. What is she supposed to be, like, Yeah, no, I'm not trying... She's reasonably... She's... She has not, you know known anything else for a minute and it and she was a young kid mm-hmm. um but I mm-hmm. wanted to say that yeah this is because Hannah says like oh like the German family that doesn't have anything they don't have a pot to piss in like anything they say the father's recently yeah. died and that the mother is pregnant with their like six or seven yeah. child they don't even have a stick of firewood yeah. And you know, then, and then around the it's room, like, maybe yep. we should give the Hummels our yeah. Maybe we should give them our bread. Maybe we should give them yeah. our butter. Um, and then they are like, okay, we know. I guess Marmy is supposed to have visited the Hummels in the yeah. morning. It's very complicated, but yes, it's showing that these kids like their the scene shows where their situation has gone to from where they right. used to be which is like sausage sausages right, all right. the time like, or something to like this is only for christmas mm. yeah like i is that sausage yeah. joe says like yeah Holy jimmy shit, dean? i can't believe we get eat you know yeah jimmy dean so um but then also how dire things are sure. for other people in their community and how they respond, how they've been taught to respond to that. So even Amy, who's the youngest and portrayed as the most selfish mm. of them all, like, um, although I would argue that Joe. I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but she puts, finally, she puts the orange on yeah. the loaf of bread that they've all agreed to give to the family. So it's a really there's a lot of what do you call that in your business sure it's or, i guess this is like yeah a, it's like they're showing mm, a lot they're 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 doing this download of exposition of who who um the family is because that's what we need to know why is it so compelling that we t- tell this entire story about how joe ends up writing a story about this writes this movie essentially as graham pointed out it's a movie about yeah its own story literally yep (laughs) so that's pretty wild right right Um, it is but uh yeah so um outside of course and to your point we're meeting Lori. Lori is the arguably a huge catalyst in this story and he's getting into a cage uh from a cat cage (laughs) into <laughs> yeah he lives, he lives in a, in a cage, cage. Freudian of his slip. grandfather's man um, yeah exactly yeah. he does not want to be uh, a lawyer or whatever he's into the piano and he is he, yeah. so he's getting into this carriage and he he sees them leave to go deliver the food and later we see Lori yeah. watching them or rather watching the light um, in the attic window really in some shadows uh, but this is uh, this is when we yeah. kind of first see we go into that attic space with all the girls and we see of course that they're all dressed in drag <laughs> they're all done up 
Every last we're one here, mega episode for sisters. And Joe then looks through the window. This must be a few minutes later because Lori went back inside the house and now sees Lori in the house. And they're kind of like, what's what's the tea? Mm-hmm. You know, um, also noting here that like things like awful mm-hmm. or slang, that is just hilarious. Don't yes. say awful. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, also this is this is a <clears throat> the um yeah, it's complicated because Meg is the oldest and she has a lot of pressure to be in society, but she also wants to be and wants to get married and stuff. So you see her kind of um <clears throat> especially with Amy, uh like disciplining or like indoctrinating mm-hmm. and like you know joe's a lost cause and beth doesn't need to because she never leaves right. the house and also never says anything right. bad but like you know she's like don't you know it's just this whole thing where it's like yeah censoring them and it's really interesting as she as the oldest daughter is in drag participating in this cosplay of a male like writer's circle or whatever Mm -hmm. and then she has you know she's also like trying to like keep the propriety of this private moment in check it's just yeah meg is of course the one that that walks the line (laughs) Um, for so long as the responsible oldest one so and also we're establishing the dynamic here that Lori is fully rich and Mar- the marches this year don't have presents that's what Meg says don't have Christmas yeah. presents <laughs> so no. <laughs> no Christmas presents Meg and Joe are preparing for a dance and Joe accidentally burns Meg's hair right in the front and they're all like, let's slap on some bows and it's going to be okay. Amy's like, well, put on my bows, but they're, you know, they're going to go to the stands. They go and uh, Lori and Joe have their first like real interaction here. There's some hilarious little yeah. tidbits. Like Lori makes a comment that he was taken with Meg. That's one thing. So we we reveal Lori's sexuality yeah. of March sexual, basically. Once one yeah. of these. He literally becomes a March sexual. It's as though he's just young enough for it to be believable that he's never been attracted to yeah. anyone before, like in genuinely. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, now I get it. It's like when people realize they're queer, except it's just yeah, the March exactly. sexual. <laughs> he's like, in the end, he's like, even it's Beth. It's crazy. Beth gets me. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the end, he's like, if Beth had a lover, I would despise uh, oh him God. too. So that's um, a tidbit. Oh and then also we see some, some jealousy, it seems, from Joe when she says that Meg's completely bald in front. Um, and is wearing a hairpiece. Oh right, yeah. She she's she. The thing about her is that she already knew that she was going to be close yes. to Lori. Like she felt an affinity with him from the moment that she realized he was there, living mm-hmm. across the street. You know, um, and she's so obsessed with like romanticism that the the whole fact 
he actually has lived in Europe and that he's from he's educated and he's like a musician and everything it's like she just was so so taken with all of that and um not in a sexual way but like really like kind of in like a soulmate way yeah you know like really like just new and so the way that she talks to him immediately is so familiar and he just like can't get it yeah he can't get it (laughs) um i love that i love that read of it so this is when meg sprains her ankle and Lori is like, let me help you. But by this time, what is it exactly? I think I might have like been typing or something. What is it exactly that Meg sees that really flips her script? And she says, Lori's a bad, like a bad boy and doesn't want to go home. Is there anything that particularly happens? No, that's not it. No, that's not why. No, it's, mm-hmm. that's not it at all she thinks it's just she thinks it's improper to let him help her like to take the charity from him or to let him touch her leg which is injured you know just like it's just that she doesn't want to step out of line because she doesn't want to ruin her prospects at finding a nice husband who can like well you just said it there though the moment i'm thinking of that i did miss was touching the foot right and that's why that's uh, that's definitely a trigger um and also like you know this is such a dreadful thing to think about getting home like this i'm like you have to take this help you know it's imperative that you take this help of course (laughs) how could she get home otherwise it's not like she can like fucking call no um lift was not around yet thank god so (laughs) i don't know how they got there i assume they did walk because my impression is that this like ball or whatever is in concord and then that the one that that Meg goes to later is actually in Boston proper, and we all know that those places are pretty close together by car. But at the time, would have felt totally, totally, um, especially with snow. So they start this relationship with Lori, and like the first shot you see is this like Lori crawling on the ground, which I'm gonna talk about later when we meet the professor. But, you know, you see he's playful and Marmy and Meg come upon the scene of him playing with the other girls. And we meet, you know, Eric Stoltz as Laurie's teacher. And there's... (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Mr. Brook. It's... uh, Is it Brook or Brooks? It might be Brooks. But it is... I mean, it's full on, like, full on, like the my friend amy gall who i was watching this with the other day is like it's like amazing 90s <laughs> version of the 1860s yes. that he's sporting he has this like um i forget what those hats are called i should know it's like a total classic men's hat from like eastern europe but he's wearing like this funny little winter hat and he has like yes. you know like the sunglasses he has like sunglasses that are just like sitting on his nose like pinch nose pince-nez. and he's got like it's just his little dutch boy yeah. haircut and it's just like this like super 
funny with the goatee. It's just like all very 1994 does the 1860s, which I'm like complete a hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I mean he's <laughs> I he's never him. what Joe says that he is. He's like <laughs> an no. educator and pretty good looking and very so sweet. Yeah, you know. He's so sweet, and you know he's yeah. a nerd, and that's what she doesn't like about him. She just doesn't like right. that he's not cool. But like, I actually think he is cool. He just talks funny. Yeah, you know? yeah. He just <laughs> talks funny. It's a different time. But Laurie's outfit in that scene is like when he's in his like goofing around clothes in this movie. He he is what we now call gnome core <laughs> in menswear, which is basically what I'm wearing right now. But like he wears like little yeah. beanie and like little woolen yeah yeah like a little gnome <laughs> in the forest. Coffee. <laughs> exactly. So then there's this scene where Joe and Meg are going to work and Amy's going to school. Beth doesn't go to work. Uh-huh. We find out she helps at their home. And Amy says the yes. thing about the limes, which is hilarious. It's basically like Pokemon trading cards, pogs, whatever era you're from. Pogs, pogs all the way, that slammer, yeah. that goosebump slammer. So later, you know, Joe is at work and she sees Amy outside that gate and she runs down. She's like, is it dad? And Amy's like crying and she shows her lashed hand. <laughs> This gives way to the marches mm-hmm. being one very against this immediately. It's not a thing that is just accepted for being of the times or something. That's not the vibe we're going with here. And uh, also that uh, she remarks that apparently this teacher doesn't think educating women is any more important than educating a girl a cat. So after that, T. Te- which means that he thinks that educating a male cat is more important than educating a female exactly. child. Exactly. There's a true fucked up hierarchy happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this Terrible. gives way to Marmy withdrawing Amy from school because like, fuck it. Um, fuck the system. I withdraw my daughter Amy from <laughs> your school. Joe will now supervise her exactly which is gonna lead to a little bit of tension between these two that they really more than a little more than a little they fucking hate each other I mean they're weirdly the biggest rivalry in the siblings absolutely like you know and I think Beth and Joe are probably the closest yes yeah I think yeah, I think you're right. I think everybody's so close yeah. with Beth. Nobody could not be close with Beth. So like <clears throat> Right, but I think Joe sees her as like precious and special, yeah. weirdly. Like even though Joe is so legibly special to the rest yeah. of the world and unusual, like there's something I think there's like a deep admiration on Joe's part for like who yeah. Beth is. Same. God, I cried. I cried again. Yeah. It got me. <laughs> I only cried in that one scene, though. We'll talk about that. All right. So then we have a couple queer moments in a row. Uh, queer sleeping cap again on Joe. The kitties, very queer. Cat in a bonnet, queer. Joe with the mustache, queer. So they're once again doing the theater. And Amy is like, I don't want to be the boy again. <laughs> 
and Joe, Joe, Joe yeah. says that Lori wants to join the club and they are very reticent for particularly the reason of the sanctity of this like precious space that they have. Yeah. Space. To be themselves yeah. um, and to be goofy and all those things that um, are considered improper. So Joe's like, fuck around and find out, reveals that Lori yeah. is actually in the room, has been the whole mm-hmm. time. Who knows how long? In the cupboard. Yeah. Just. It's so messed up. Like, I actually think it's really messed up, but it shows, it really shows how, again, how instantaneously Joe has, like, digested that, like, Lori is in Mm -hmm, her world, mm -hmm. and how much she is, like, in so many ways still a child. Actually, all of the characters are, including Lori. Like, just really... There's like that scene is like really beautiful. It's it's like when they all in the moment and after the shock of Lori coming out of a cupboard and then learning that he's heard everything yeah. they said. And that's embarrassing. And it's like there's things that you say in front of your sibling, you know, are different from what you say to other people as right. we can attest to. And I think that like that um yeah, it's but it's really beautiful when they kind of like in this split second, very childlike decision. They're just like, okay. And then they all <laughs> bow to him and they like throw like a pirate's hat on his head, like muss his hair around and like he's smiling yeah. like a kid, you know, like he's so happy. And they're all there. That's like a, a kind of like a high moment for this group of people. Yeah. And he also gives, of course, uh the mailbox which is banging i guess um and he's Mm -hmm. you know i think uh he says that he promises to not reveal anything also that's a promise that laurie makes he's not going to reveal anything he hears in the club Mm -hmm. so then of course joe and meg have essentially what is a double date john and meg and laurie and joe it's clearly coupled up um, shit's heating up mm-hmm. between Meg and Teach, and Dr- Joe sort of drags Meg away at the end of the night when Meg and, and him are, are touching hands. And this was also right before they went, of course, the tidbit is uh, like, Amy really wants to go. And Joe put some schoolwork in her path instead, which is just not the way to go about it with this with this kid. And then uh, when they come back, Joe checks on Amy. She's still sulking. And then, of course, um, she's looking for her manuscript. And she realizes that Amy must have it. She goes downstairs and it is burning in the fire. And she starts, uh, the first thing Amy says is that she didn't do it. You know? (laughs) I know. It's just such a giveaway it's like i didn't do it the thing that i know i did that you know i did know it's like okay thank you like god it's i mean really truly it, it you do want to just strangle Amy. yeah it's, i do it's crazy it's like such a i understand yeah you we're know? both writers i understand about how <laughs> oh, <shit. younger> <laughs> 
<laughs> that that uh, arm of the Molly doll that I accidentally broke up. You <laughs> never did anything to even close to that severe to fuck with. I me, never though. meant to. Oh, God, you did you break Molly's remember. arm? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I don't remember. Stop asking me. <laughs> I, don't I don't remember. remember. <laughs> if I did, I know I'm it's sorry. like truly. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um. I was recently thinking about how Molly McIntyre was like, well, there's this picture of me holding Molly's hand and I'm like yeah. four or something. And it looks like I'm saying, yeah. this is my girlfriend, <laughs> Molly. <laughs> and, um, but like, I was like, oh, that would have been at the time more like clone sure. fuckers, you know, like um, I was like, kind of like Molly, like an LHB, you know, when I was a That's kid. That's so true. I was, a, I was, I mean, after I was like six, I was like a full on yeah. like kid, but yeah, um, pretty much until oh college. Oh my God. Yeah. When you on that. <laughs> and I've now accepted that about It was me. when you went on the Girl Scout ski trip, that was like, you really embraced <laughs> that attitude it was I very know. sporty spice I know. that was in de- <laughs> it was very sporty spice yes totally I loved it. <laughs> queer um, too much something <laughs> is just in the need to know um, anyway yeah, yes of you. course um so <laughs> So yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, so where this, were we? Okay. Amy burns it, and Joe and, is gonna and, like kill and, her. Um, starts to beat the crap out of her, and they pull her off. But you and there's this scene, of course, where where Marmy, you know, is comforting Joe, and and Amy comes to the door for a sec. This is that same night, and she just goes, "I'm sorry, Joe," and like, very <laughs> like little creepy. Not child. Enough. Yeah, not enough. not enough. And then, um, yeah. of course, this is patched pretty quickly though because. Lori and Joe are going skating and Amy is trying to like hang out with them, but Joe does not give a fuck and Amy follows them, falls through the water and they both save her. So then it's sort of like all good, Mm -hmm. patched up pretty quickly. And we're moving on to springtime. Aunt March, who Mm -hmm. um, I forgot to look it up. Is this, this lady's also in Sister Act. She's the OG, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, choir master yeah so aunt march is you know encouraging meg to get married meg is off to this super fancy party and the girls there are like you know silk is a thing there's nothing like silk and she, and the other girls like the marches haven't bought silk since like it was all came out that that was slave trade and everything and meg is uh-huh. like yeah yeah and then the other girl says that you know we're gonna take you under our wing and can I tell you something this is a day dress and this is an evening party and mm-hmm. so they yeah. do her up and the moment she calls over her oh, yeah. French maid <laughs> and she's like the maid is like this like statuesque tall woman and she's like you yeah, have no yeah. corset <laughs> like pushes her chest up and like it's very shocking it's shocking to meg and then it's shocking to Lori in a way that he voices in extremely inappropriate ways um he comes upon her and he's like 
everybody can see your tits, basically. Yeah, it's so fucked up the way he does that. I think, I think it's more, it's more helpful to like look at his character here as sure, an innocent. Sure. Um, I don't want to just like seem like I'm on Team Laurie, but like when I was watching this movie the other day, I was like really digested the fact that he's even though he's lived in Europe and all this stuff and he's read every book you know he's just doesn't know much about the way things work in the world and um he's like very pure of heart and I think he sees Meg at this ball drinking wine which her family doesn't drink um and that's why he says Miss March I I I thought your family were temperance Mm -hmm. people um and you know that kind of has this like moralistic like there were a lot of uh overlaps between the temperance movement and the abolitionist movement and transcendentalism and all of these various pieces that are like coming together and in and around boston and women's at rights the time um and yeah and women's rights but you know the suffragist movement and like there were negative aspects to all of these movements um obviously abolitionism not really but like there was i mean there was like the white saviorism aspect to the abolitionist movement but also like a lot of the suffragist movement was super racist and run Mm -hmm. by white women and so it's just really it's just also complicated and we can't really project our sensibilities onto things we just have to kind of know what they were like and and figure out you know what we would have done just to note about um the the characters even to bring into that perspective this is a moment about the alcohol where he talks about what their family does later between joe and the professor when she doesn't want to drink the wine and they're like little beatnik shindig he says pretend to have a cold so mm-hmm. it's just a little i i note that because it's like he's supposed to be the stream but then it's like he is there a part of him that doesn't get her what she would really want to do it that's there there's another layer to it i think right she somebody asks her do you take wine and she says right, only medicinally right um at the shindig later but anyway right so this i was really disappointed in laurie too for shaming Mm. meg um but also the reason meg did those things was because of like peer pressure and it wasn't really her so both of them acted like in ways that don't don't really reflect who they are who they Mm. are to each other Mm -hmm. in that scene and that's why they have this this scene where meg's kind of like dabbing the like lipstick off herself and stuff and she's like oh my god like i gotta get <laughs> out of this sobered up. This like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> i can't believe i did this yeah she's like okay yeah. wow that half a glass of wine really right did right <laughs> um but yeah she she like um is kind of like reflecting on the mm-hmm. eve the day and the evening and how she's kind of like broken with a lot of her own boundaries and norms like yeah. all at once and she's disoriented and Lori comes to find her and it's like because they're like at this point they're like siblings you know I mean they're like very close and like Lori looks up to Meg I think and like she's like okay like you know I'm sorry and he's like I'm sorry and they're like okay cool 
and then some they laugh and, and he says he says that he plays roles for people too yeah totally and they laugh because they overhear someone who can't see them so yeah did you see the way the march girl is throwing herself at the right. lawrence air? Like, um and then so. of course um we we cut right to the scene with marmy and joe hearing about the party and Marmy's like, nothing inspires speculation more than a woman enjoying herself. That's her line. And then, yeah. of course, Joe's a little bit out of shape about these rumors. She's like, I don't like them talking about, you know, our Meg and our Lori together like that. Right. Which is when you again see that Joe doesn't think of Lori as someone she wants to marry. But she does think of him as hers. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's a complicated emotion. You know. So Marmy right. then gives them a pep talk about being women, one of a few. I think that this I think this dialogue is just too yeah. over the top. Like I just don't think that a parent mm. talks like that ever to it. Like it's just it doesn't all come at once like that, but it's right. She's piece. talking about ma- them making it a better place and you know making the world a better place like um and how the limitations of possibility and yeah it is extremely overt i mean and the pressure is on you know like they're not going to get yeah, equality right. turns out nobody right, is anyway right. now so <laughs> it's not like they could have lived to be 200 and then it would have worked out so anyway um, let's hope let's hope that doesn't become 250 um, so Lori uh, then is going to have it and Lori also spills the tea that John has Meg's glove <laughs> he's like such a gossip <laughs> this is hilarious yeah he's packing his books for Harvard and this is like a really important gendered moment mm-hmm. for Joe is another barrier so like she knows that he has a private tutor and, you know, he gets to be educated. Um, she knows he has more options. It's this moment where, you know, she sees that her best friend who is male and even like way, way richer than her yeah. going off to Harvard. And it's really all she wants to do is have the opportunity to just read and write for four years. <laughs> Yeah, he his privilege um, is not checked by him until a, 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 a much time later, until after he had go tea time, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right, and I love the vibe of this. This is this could have been a totally different time, you know, in this movie with the scene, and uh, of course, this is when things get things get. A little messy and sad. First, we have Daddy getting wounded, and Marmy goes off to tend to him. Joe sells her hair mm-hmm. for the money to to give Marmy for this trip, and Beth is going to the Hummels also, which is that family, and uh, you know that's super sad as well. The baby is sick. She feels really empathetic. And she, Joe, gets mm-hmm. home and sees that Beth is slumped over at the piano. She doesn't feel good. They send Amy away because no. she has not gotten the fever, the scarlet fever, yet. But Joe and Meg had it as children. And Lori, of course, 
get is the one to transport Amy to our, on marches. And they have this very uh, notable conversation about how if she dies, he'll kiss her before she dies. Um, and, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, he's, it's weird. It's yeah. weird, but again, it's it's definitely weird. I think he is supposed to be, yeah, like 18, and she's like yeah. 12, yeah. Or, you know, but like, uh, I guess, again, like, if we can try and see these people as people that truly kind of see themselves as, or she, he looks upon her as a sister and he's doing her a kindness. I don't know. Like, right. It's just a weird little bit of Victoriana for us. You know? Yeah. And we're I, like, okay, whatever. Weird. Um, and I think narratively, there's some sort of, uh, it's closing the loophole later on this. So it's a little breadcrumb. I think at that, <laughs> yes. And at that point, I just wrote, Amy is so straight. Uh, Amy like in the story represents straightness. Yeah. I think that Beth is ace. Yep. Um and then yeah, I feel like Meg is like pretty normy. Um I don't I feel really like know, Meg cares like, for what love. To say about Demi. Her. She's a demi girl. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> she's demisexual. <laughs> That's um, it. We have everybody covered. Yeah. <laughs> and Marmy's kink is that things are long distance. Yeah. <laughs> she's into it. So then they yeah, she's like, I love it when <laughs> when Bronston Alcott is away, which <laughs> yeah. is the real name of the dad in real life, which of course all movie lovers out there know that's the name of the high school in Clueless. Copy. <laughs> for whatever fucking reason. Talk about closing the loop. Uh, so then they're like sort anyway, of speculating okay. that they maybe they should get Marmy and Lori's grandfather gets his doctor who like brings a bunch of leeches over and basically says, you know, it's just too late. Like we can't do anything about it. But thankfully, Lori yeah. sends for Marmy, who is the only nurse that can truly bring Beth back to um, some modicum of health. And Beth gets much better, mm -hmm. stable. Mm -hmm. uh, here is mm -hmm. uh, the, of course, the harrowing Joe POV shot to reveal this. The uh, oh no, the bed's empty, and then pan over, and there mm -hmm. she's sitting up. So um, Joe does remark in the uh, monologue that, that they didn't really understand this, but Beth's heart had weakened forever. This brings the Marches and the Lawrences closer together for the second Christmas of the movie. Miss, Mr. Lawrence gifts Beth his piano. And it's a fire gift, but also I love the fact that he's just like, I should have done this when my daughter who played this died. So I am the asshole and um, please yeah. play it. And Aunt March is there too and has a good time. She's a terrible singer, but um, she's that that that's when she says that was good. Um, when they play it. Yeah, she's having a great time and like she kind of has a peer in the Grandpappy Lawrence. Yeah, right. and like they've probably known each other forever because mm -hmm. like it's a very small society. Like not only is Boston 
still not a huge city. Right. It still isn't. Yeah. Um, but you know, people of a certain level of wealth, and we know Aunt March is from the kind of side of the family that still hold has the wealth. Right. Right. Like has cash flow and has assets. And Mr. Lawrence is like a rich guy about town. So they're friends probably yeah <laughs> they, they're probably friends they've been friends or they've just been acquaintances forever so yeah it's yes cute. And there's, like at this christmas i actually want to say like they sing deck the halls which i looked up and it's um it's traditional christmas carol and the melody comes from wales and dates back to the 16th century okay but um the english lyrics were not written until 1862 <sighs> and i i'm putting this movie at we're like at 1863 or four when sure, it starts sure um given like that we see the end of the war in the movie sure and that's just before they jump four years so i think i think yeah that's where around where we're at so this song would have been very very new <laughs> um but also it's possible it could have come to them because you know people would buy sheet music and play their piano and mm-hmm. sing songs so it's possible you know they had access to stuff they were near a big city but it's just interesting to think about how how new that was. It could have been a mini gift from um, grand, Grandpappy, you know, a little sheet music with the piano. And then by the yeah. end of the night, they were really good at the song. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and then Meg says that like, yeah, like me and John, like marriage maybe. And Joe's not a fan Marmy does say it's okay that he's poor, but I really wish he had a house. But no big, yeah. like, marry for love. Um, mm-hmm. This is also when their father returns. And so this is all the same night. Their father returns. And then Meg is, like, making out with John. And Lori mm-hmm. says, it's wonderful, you know, isn't it? And Joe is like no I don't feel like it's wonderful you know like in her face and um Mm -hmm. and then we see that four years pass and they get married so that then we do the time jump and we're at their wedding suddenly well yeah oh the the forums too yeah yes well there's so much we could more we could say but Joe says, like, that was another, like, big sexuality gender moment for me was that when she's talking to Meg about it, she says, why must we marry it all? Why can't things just stay the way they are? Right. And I wrote, calm calm down, Joe, not everyone's a lesbian. (laughs) Right. been a direct quote from my friend friend Amy who was watching it with but like <laughs> seriously like not everyone is gay which is right. hard for people like us to understand <laughs> but um it's true that like her perspective um is just so queer she like really can't get her head around why right Meg wants to be married um so and it's like this breaking up of of like family unit in a lot of ways 
she's threatened by heterosexual marriage very specifically. So yeah, so that's true. Very queer. And we're, yeah, we don't really know why Joe feels these this way in a totally expository way that people are talking about. But I think especially as queer viewers, we understand like there's just so much worry, so much trouble on her face. And um, and she's trying to unpack it. She's trying to understand herself because she's also a, a writer. So yeah, so then mm -hmm. uh, we are at the wedding and Lori is like, I want to be with you. You know, he takes her off um, to talk to her and tells her his feelings and kisses her with like a little bit of a surprise kiss, I yeah. would say. And then, uh, and then, you know, she's like, kind of like, um, what like you're my dearest friend you know you're you mean so much to me and we see that like obviously like Lori is super hurt and I think in a way it's just this is the way that he knows how to express the closeness and the love that he <laughs> feels for Joe but part of it excludes the way that she feels you know and mm -hmm. and there's I think a part of her that's a big person to not be so hurt by him not seeing her you know mm -hmm. um but I think in a lot of ways it's like her greatest kindnesses are um to in the eventually just have him be around every day and not have any pain associated with the situation was because her mm -hmm. heart was open and like super queer you know pure mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah that's what this moment feels like for me yeah she says you're my dearest friend friend but I just can't go be a wife yeah yeah a wife I think is what she says which is like very yeah, it's just not part of her identity. It's not part of her vision for herself. She just does not care to participate in the system. And there's like actually nothing more queer than just rejecting the way that you've been told you need to be in relationship to anybody else. Yep. But especially like in partnership or romance, it's just, um, it really works to show a lot. And Lori is freaked the fuck out i mean he's just finished college he has this opportunity to go he's already gonna go but he of course assumes that joe is gonna say yes which is very apparent <laughs> yeah yeah he really you know? has been building his like plan. he's excited about it because he's getting engaged today yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah this you is know? this this like he's psyched to talk to her and this is something that makes me um, think about the difference between um, some of the way that I've seen. I mean, there's a lot of fervor around heterosexual um, proposal, uh, but then a lot of times, um, a lot of friends that I've yeah. had queer proposals, more of a discussion. And I've always said, you know, it really should be when you're asking somebody, it should be after a mountain of discussion. And it's, you know, you could 
<laughs> you know, yeah, you could you could have some element element of surprise for when, but but this is a thing that's a big life decision. So I think for her also, it's like not fair. You know, it's just not fair the way that this conversation is going, and it's not. It doesn't um, track with what their relationship really is. That it's going like this. So it bothers me on that level too. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes. I mean, and it's gross because, like, Laurie's, like, asserting that she's going to, like, find a man. One day. Someday. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, too much. But this is, like, a really big turning point in the story because then, you know, Joe goes home and Beth, who is her confidant, you know, is comforting her and explains to Amy who's just come in the room who is wearing the dress yeah that Meg the afternoon dress Meg tried to wear to the nighttime ball yeah you know years before which shows again the war is over their fortunes have improved again mm. you know and it's like now Amy's just wearing this friggin dress that was like only fancy dress in the whole house yeah. you know yeah. like four years ago so <laughs> it's really interesting but this is like a moment where you're like wow amy is a terrible sister so now amy's grown up it's not kirsten dunst anymore no bye-bye and she's like like um comes in and she's all stuck up it's like <laughs> um that's like joe has refused laurie and she's like oh my god don't worry about it you can totally take back the refusal right and she's like oh yeah amy's not gonna get this yeah she's so straight <laughs> she's like no i don't want to take it back it's just upsetting and yeah. then she's really just upset about upsetting Lori. like yeah. she's upset about breaking his heart and yep. She can hear him furiously playing the piano yeah. across the street. Yeah. She's like, just listen to him. It's <laughs> terrible, you know? That's a really, really um, funny tidbit. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's really, I mean, it, but it, but Amy just, it's, okay. So then Joe's like, holy shit, I gotta get out of here. And Amy and didn't suggest the it. the meanest sibling move. <laughs> Oh, Amy says, Amy says you should get, get out, out of here. here. And then and then Joe says, Oh my god, I wish I could. And Amy says, Aunt March is going to Europe. And Joe says, Holy shit, I can't believe I finally get to go to Europe. Yeah. And Amy says, She's asked me. Why? Why did she go. do that? That like just timing. It was just the meanest. Yeah, it's Breaking not great. Yeah, so this is it's like crazy. <laughs> this is like the tension between them. I mean, even like what? Yeah, what are Amy's motivations? Um, and I think there's a lot of yeah, her nature makes it so that this the childhood that she felt was not enough at certain points. You know, she wants what's hers and she has become somewhat selfish. And it's good because, you know, there is a little bit of coming home for Amy, but she has a far way to go um, and literally yeah. goes to Europe. So, <laughs> um, yes. so yeah, then this is uh, Joe says, you know, she she gets it because like um, 
she's she says you know I'm, I'm like flying around turning down perfectly good marriage proposals um but Marmee t- then starts this conversation with her about ordinary life and what Joe really needs to do. And she uses the words embrace her liberty. So yes. And Joe says, I want to change, but I can't. And I know I'll just never fit anywhere. Right. Which same sees, <laughs> right? The queerest thought. Yeah. And what what does she do to embrace her queerness? Uh, queerness is go to New York City, just like many of our friends um, did. Totally. So she's off there and Lori's off to London. Meanwhile, um, reeling. She sees hot Gabriel Byrne, you know, clocks clocks him pretty early on uh, in this place that they're staying. And she's also going around and trying to have these stories published. The general reception is that her stories are fairy stories, which is another nice little queer word we get in here. And why don't you try a women's magazine? She then... She then almost immediately after that bumps into Gabriel Byrne and he his name is Friedrich. Uh, although I saw it is it is it in the book maybe he's called Fritz or something. But we were looking up Little Men and the character is Fritz in that. So um, whatever. But it's about the schoolhouse yeah. that they talk about at the end of this. So he's a German uh-huh. ed- educator and personally, you know, I feel like there's something in his worldliness that is sort of that zest you know that she found in Lori you know at one point Mm -hmm. so Joe's like you know I miss um I miss uh Lori and Friedrich says is that your sister you know um well she says yeah I miss my sisters and I miss Lori mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he's like oh oh is that your sister and no Lori's a a boy or Mm -hmm. He says something like, like my, that. like he's like she's like my brother, and he's like my brother or something. Even, I don't think she says know. that. She's like, she no, laughs it off. It's just like <laughs> weird. Yeah, she's like, I don't really know what the hell he is to me at this. Right, point. right, right. The person I turned down, who will be my future brother-in-law. How do you describe that? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Joe also um does the transcendentalist pitch with Friedrich here and he's like oh that's like a common philosophy in Germany like that's all cool he's very this is German romanticism you throw off the shackles of the world and you you know it's just like so annoying his German accent is terrible it's bad It's just really bad. I like I'm very like anti Friedrich, honestly. Sure. I'm just I'm like right. He acts like Laurie in the same like presumptuous ways, but he doesn't have the excuse of being like inexperienced in the world. We never see I think he's a dyke chaser. Sure. Um I think there's a read of this where you could see him as a fic- fictional a fictitious uh, thing of her imagination because nobody ever really is around them except for their New York people. 
So yeah. maybe this is just her this queerness. This like in Fight Club, you know? It's yes. like her alter ego. Yes, exactly. It really, like, I mean, it does make sense. Like, it's her life as a man. Like, what she mm -hmm. would be if she was a male-assigned person born in Germany, like, 20 years before. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll talk about it, but the disappointment in him would be the disappointment in her self for caving yes. in the end so getting married so and that is also <laughs> yeah. like just a small detail i wanted to bring up is that like the story is set at a different time like louisa may alcott was older during the civil war sure she was born sure. in the 1830s so yeah. she was like already 30 ish when the war broke out mm -hmm. and so she for whatever reason sets the story then yeah yeah it's just like an instinct choice yeah. but um <laughs> but yeah friedrich is also poor we established that and we also see that he has a fun side i do you know cinematically speaking having him crawling on his hands and knees with joe's little charges in new york is um echoes of Lori and a very purposeful choice joe is also like having intellectual discussions with Friedrich and his New York friends about women's rights and you know she says to like um this guy basically you know women shouldn't have rights because they're good women should have rights because they're like people you know basic yeah. stuff so Joe go goes under a, a male pen name and publishes a fantastical story. And of course, this is like all a romance, pirate, something. Maybe even supernatural elements, I think. There's fantastical elements in a lot of her stories, creatures, monsters. And so this yeah. is this is met with all shade from Friedrich. And um, he does, he's a pretty pretty decent guy in the fact that he comes to apologize and he does one of my favorite things atonement so he says we're gonna bring you to an opera date you know make my apology yeah. real and give you a nice experience to make you feel better so he is like no we don't have to be fancy or anything and they're sat in the rafters so he mansplains slash translates the opera to her and this is you know a moment where like Winona is like she's just such a great actress that I feel some swoon but I'm wondering what you feel this moment what what do you feel in this moment I mean <laughs> this movie doesn't reflect like Louisa May Alcott's own gender journey mm -hmm. that we're learning more about in modern times I just feel like this is just, I just, I really resent this scene. I, I just think that like for young queer women, I mean, like I identified as a cis person um, for a long time, but like as a dyke, you know, sure. I, I hate, I never loved the word lesbian and I now identify as a former lesbian, right. which I think it's just hilarious. In recovery. But I always, but before I was out, I feel like, and I didn't really know, like I couldn't come to terms with my queerness, even though it was like so obvious to the rest of the world for so long. I just <laughs> thought, well, okay, like who would I be with if I was with someone? And it was like, 
I think that like strange men really picked up on that. And yeah. I had some experiences that were like, I never let things get to a point where they were traumatic, but just like was a magnet for these weirdos who are often older than me. Yeah. Like lonely, strange guys that mm. thought I was like a fascinating creature. And I really identify with the character of Joe in this scene, mm. but she's portrayed in the movie as being into it. Yeah. And I was never into it. And that's the real queer response is like, once a person wants what they want from you, it's like, Oh no, this isn't someone seeing me as a peer. This is someone wanting something from me and wanting to take advantage of my youth. And it really like I real there are several people <laughs> that I can think of that were, you know, six to twelve years older than me mm. who were like always hanging around me and it was fucking gross. I was yeah. like eighteen or twenty and like these people wouldn't leave me alone and yeah, I just um I really see like Friedrich as like a, a dyke chaser predator. Yeah. <laughs> <this> <laughs> part of the movie i think that like he fetishizes her and how different she is sure and wants something really straightforward and traditional from her right right yeah i i totally feel all of that and i think also there's it's funny because i mean i'm a huge winona fan and i i know most of her looks and it's it's interesting because the look that she's actually using after they get interrupted, after the near kiss, before they go in for the kiss kiss, is very similar to how she looks at Ben Stiller in the car um, in Reality Bites when she's sort of making herself mm-hmm. go on this date with this guy who's just McBoar face. Um, etc but then later when she has sex with Ethan Hawke and does the kiss in the kitchen I mean it is like it's just like so amazing and uh, and her entire being and I'm just thinking yeah that's not this this is like you know um, so the heat level is down a little bit and I think uh, yeah there's something about it that that makes it uh, not totally there um, but if we look at it as if he is a figment of her imagination, maybe this is the moment where she's really starting to embrace something um, and that she could be all the things, um, even to the point of she's giggering up to write a story about women. It's a very queer thing of like like identifying with previous identities, things like that, you know. Um, so yeah. it's a obviously we don't have any of the language and stuff, but given some of the things we learned about Louisa or Lewis, um, we will you know see that maybe that some of those things are more modern um, that we thought. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we have this kiss. Meanwhile, Amy is in Europe. Lori is there being sort of, you know, a cad, like he's got a goatee. He's... More than sort of. He's like become an alcoholic and is not even working for his grandfather for a while. Like he's like fucking around. He's trying to dull the pain. He's having a lot of trouble. And, and he's like now not an innocent anymore, which sure. is like, I think, very well acted yeah. by Christian Bale. And I have to say, like, I think, you know, Timothy is like a fine actor from what I've seen him in. But this is a moment where like that casting in the newer version, which I liked a lot of things about. Yeah, um, totally. 
uh, was so off because yeah. Laurie has to suddenly look way older. Yeah. And he does. Like, this is like, Timothy is just too young. Yeah. And it looks ridiculous when he has this tiny mustache. <laughs> and in this, it's like, wow, Laurie's like kind of older, you yeah. know? And we're I kind can't. of like going on this path where yeah like he's unkempt he has this weird goatee it's like a whole thing but he is kind of palling around with all these like good looking women who seem like kind of loose and cool and they're european he they don't care you know like not like the puritanical americans who are like at their painting school so you know um and the best thing about that scene was once he sees me he like sneaks up behind her and he, he it's Pitches really well acted his entire face well his when he realizes that she's there he like see he actually finds like a former version of himself suddenly yeah. like mm-hmm. come over him he like p- throws his like little cigarillo down <laughs> he walks away from these people that he's hanging around with yeah and he smiles and he like goes around behind Amy and like pinches her nose and suddenly like he's brought back to like his more innocent self and it's like really great and then his former friend from Harvard Freddie Vaughn who was at the Christmas a few years before mm-hmm. um is the one that's engaged well they're not engaged Pretty yet engaged. but they're like courting yeah. and he's like hanging around with Aunt March and Amy and like in France and <laughs> Lori's like, Aunt March, you look incredible or whatever. I wish I could say the same I for you, my boy. <laughs> it's great. She, yeah. It's really great. She her few lines in this film are fantastic. And I so. love when she's in the scenes with Susan Sarandon. Like, when Susan Sarandon's right next to her, it's the best because it's like, honestly, like, you know, she could even react, but you don't need to. Like, you just do one little look and it's everything. Um, That's that's the thing you have all over this movie, actually, I would argue. Um, So, uh, so then we have, like, Joe and Friedrich full, like, dating vibes. She leaves a manuscript for him mm-hmm. under his door. And Laurie and Amy also feel like they're sort of dating. We see them on uh, the picnic and he gives her the hair clips. But we also see in that scene that Amy's not really down with lazy Laurie. Laurie yeah. can't connect with his art anymore, which is one of the things that made him hot. And I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> this is me filling a bowl right here. Maybe I'll let me take over for a sec. Okay, so Laurie is drunk or drinking at the picnic. Um, not drunk, but he's like drinking from a flask, and it's rainy. And like he says, "Why don't you reform me?" Mm. Which is like not a good thing to say it's not a good attitude it's like you have to want to change and everything and then i also think there's this moment where he's like i'm into the fact that amy is like a high femme yeah you know like he's like i never could have given joe these combs she would have been like what the fuck is this let's use these as fighting and cosplay yeah like 
<laughs> yeah, like he has developed into having like attraction and a sexuality of his own that goes well it doesn't go beyond the marches but i think he's had a lot of experiences <laughs> as part of his like benders he's been on sure, you know sure like he's an experienced person now yeah worldly and, and so you know amy's just like she, she's just always been the same the entire movie yeah. and her entire life she's like i don't want to be courted by someone who's still in love with my sister and um he's and he says mar his he confesses his march, march sexualism which he says <laughs> he says do you have the dirt quote or anything it's like, yeah i have yeah, a quote yeah, i have a quote for it. just as you have always known you would never marry a pauper i have always known i should be a part of the march family <laughs> and it's like, you know, then he talks about, yeah, how, like, he hates Fred Vaughn. He's, like, jealous of Mr. Brooke. He, if Beth had a lover ever, which we all know she wouldn't, because she's ace, um, <laughs> she would, you know, he would be pissed off at her guy, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Guy. <laughs> um, but, like, it's just, like, no, you know, like, it's just... um not you know she so amy's like okay like okay you know like she's taking it all in he's like this could be something yeah something (laughs) should we date and yeah she's like okay (laughs) go and get a job you know go get cleaned up um and uh he sends he actually does this sending a note the next it's like the next day he's like it says a note says i'm gonna get better and be worthy of you so he's on a little i'm gonna fix it which is better than she's gonna fix she's him. like <laughs> he suddenly sees like sees amy as an adult and as a peer yeah. and um as someone like who kind of fits with the person he's become like the better parts of the person he's become sure. Um, but it also like connects with his like child self and this like fascination with this strange family and like what he values about them and who they are. So I think he writes and uses the word we. He mm. says, don't do anything we would will will regret. And I think like that is like a we is like a big deal. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's like making decisions together. So, and then there's this poignant moment where like Amy's just read that and she's like, holy fucking shit. And then the maid is like, Mr. Vaughn is here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> oh, him. That guy. We don't give a shit. Yeah, never really cared um, about Even him. though he has 40,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right now. I hey, I almost that. made forty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Um, so, <laughs> um, too true. Oh, not not dark true. at all. Um, so yeah. so then we see that Joe is asking Friedrich about her first novel manuscript, and she uh, he basically just thinks the novel is not 
her wheelhouse of genre and he has of course you know from the other incident as a as like sort of a good boyfriend he had like not been pushing this and been like yeah write the story buy the jacket for beth and like send it along and do what makes you happy but because this is this big novel it's like he's like well my you know the publisher is gonna be honest and she uh she's just not she can't take this she's it's really hard for her so any critique is so hard um so they don't they don't leave on bad bad they leave on bad terms when it turns out that beth is sick and joe is going home Mm -hmm. joe comes back to the march house to find meg pregnant very pregnant and you know she's like why don't you tell me and meg of course says one hardly talks of such things, you know, shh, I'm super pregnant. And then, <laughs> whatever, Beth and it's Joe, t- <laughs> right, um, Beth and Joe talk, and it's all about the freedom of Joe versus, you know, staying home and Beth is, Beth's life being content there and the, the joy that she found um, having a different kind of, of life. So um, it's this, it's a choice that's talked about. And I also think there's some notes of destiny, you know, what you were supposed mm-hmm. to be, the things that are supposed to happen for you. And she also yeah. says, I never saw myself as anything much, which I think is another thematic element of the possibility. Um, mm-hmm. Possibility is uh, through women, uh, through queer people. And I think that's the thing that uh, we talk a lot about when I'm making my queer films is uh, even even hiring trans actors, the idea of possibility, you could play this kind of role. So uh, I think that's all there. Amy. Yeah, well, I mean, this is also all foreshadowed, like when soon after Meg's wedding, when Amy is painting China cups before before Laurie proposes to Joe, Beth is um, to Amy. like resting outside. Oh, before no, no. before it's like way before. Sorry, yeah. Re- Beth is resting outside and and petting the cat, and she's like under a blanket, and it's like spring or summer, you know. And totally. She's not doing like she has like like Joe says in the voiceover, she has like permanently weakened, you know. Yeah. Um and yeah. So now Joe goes home because she's actually, you know, so close with Beth and yeah. she like goes home immediately and um and she gets there and Marmy's like, I think she's been waiting for you. That is so like, oh god, that part. It's so sad. Um Joe I think Beth at this point is supposed to be like twenty. Sure. Yeah. She's nineteen. Yeah, totally. They've they've been able to keep her uh, in stasis, you know, and she's turned yeah. a corner. So, yeah. and they kind of just from the way she is, and uh, us even as the viewer trusting Marmy's medical prowess, we know that this is it. So, and yeah. also here, it's like Amy can't come home because of Aunt March's health, and. Uh, Joe is really devastated, runs actually to the spot where Lori proposed, and this is when she decides to write him 
for help essentially saying this is the situation um i i i always interpreted when he gets the letter as like he doesn't even finish it you know he just runs off um but i think there's an interpretation where he reads the whole letter and he's like he knows everything and he's on his way there but first of course he goes um and and says you know like shows up with amy and she's like I well need to come. i I don't think he reads the whole letter, you which is yeah. short, but I think he actually, I think he always sees Joe as more powerful than himself and um, more capable and stronger. And so I think that he worries for Amy right away right because now he has this connection with amy he's not joe's caretaker and he right. never really was they were like equals you know but now he's trying to like position himself and listen to amy as like someone that's going to take care of her which is what he offered joe when he proposed and so she didn't true. want anything to do with it those kisses so and all. he as somebody who sees himself yeah he sees himself as part of this family and he's like here's the person that actually needs me um and obviously like he loves beth and he like knows Beth's sick and knows that you know amy's gonna need support so he goes to france which is like very close to london yes and then of course is this already where um yeah so beth dies and um after that uh joe is also going through beth's things and beth of course is the one who would keep all the keepsakes from their childhood. Yeah. She all right. she still has her dolls, which is a really sad production design choice that's made. Um, and in well, this, it's because she wasn't given the chance to move on she was... into being a full adult. You know, like it wasn't just her nature to be at home, but it was beyond her capacity. Like after she became ill as a teenager and. And, you know, it's just, it's so complicated. But yes, it, it is really sad. It's, so, it's yes. sad, but it's also, this is the moment of transformation. Like that's when you have death in life or in a movie, you know, where is the hope? Where are we going to? And we see that Joe is starting to put together some some things from her imaginary friend Friedrich you know some things about what she should write and then the things of the of the actual artifacts of their childhood and so she starts to write down little women and we're getting these quotes of all the stories even some um I think one one line especially is like oh a I have one yeah yeah go for it yeah Meg's line yes, yes. Meg's voiceover they powdered and squeezed and made me look like a fashion plate right so made me look a fashion plate made me look a fashion plate <laughs> so like this just these this idea yeah. of how the novel sounds for a sec um, yes, which I totally. assume these are direct lines from the novel. So um, I'll just assume that. So <laughs> this is when Meg gives birth to the surprise twins. And uh, just like our grandmother, I would assume, surprise twins. And yeah. Meg asks, you know, Friedrich, uh, asks about Friedrich and Joe remarks, you know, last time it was it was bad, like we didn't end up on good terms. And she's sort of starting to think about that when just then there's a knock at the door and who is it but Lori. And Lori introduces Joe to his wife who is Amy. 
So Amy's back and married to Lori, and she's, like, showing them some of her best paintings from, from France. And what are they? They're of the March home. Orchard house. Yep, can't yep. get it off the brain. So Joe is like, you know, I'm cool with all of this. Um, you were always supposed to be part of the family. That's the vibe. Aunt yeah. March dies, and then Marmy and them are, like, at the at the house and she's Plumfield. like yeah Plumfield and she's like yeah look he like when does have made like a great school and then she looks at Joe and is like wouldn't that be like a little challenge you know um yeah <laughs> and so this is when the the package arrives and it's a published manuscript of little women which this is arguably the biggest thing to say this is Tyler Durden because she sent it in not her um to be published mm -hmm. she's totally surprised so mm -hmm. you know then she says to hannah you know who dropped this off was it fedex you know ups or usps and she's yeah. like <laughs> just some guy came and like an with an accent and then uh joe mm -hmm. is like i'm putting two and two together i think i know who it is and she runs back to uh to Friedrich and he thinks of course for a moment that the Mr. and Mrs. uh Lawrence next door Lawrence. Yeah. are Joe and Lori yeah. but yeah. uh it's not of course she says nope that's my sister it's actually Amy and Lori it starts to rain of course this tea is being spilled and you know they smooch smooch but you could argue that this is joe standing in the rain you know kissing god i hand. love this interpretation <laughs> this is like fixing everything that i hate about the movie for me i i yeah i think you know that's actually very healthy um and totally yours as a queer person um to reclaim i do think we should touch on this um louisa make they all caught, uh, I think it's some, uh, some publication, LGBTQ Nation, I think, that might have written the article that we both uh, looked at. And, you know, there was a lot of tidbits, uh, some, you know, a lot of uh, things about how Louisa actually went by Lou or Lewis, uh, things where they went to a party, uh, this is Danish girl vibes going to a party and fully passing. Uh, that's uh -huh. <laughs> that's a big one. No one no one knew me even at, after we unmasked. The boys called me sir, pushed me around in the dressing room and asked me to tie and pin them up, supposing I was a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's it's there's the one line that is it's not she was both like she was like a straight trans man <laughs> like she was attracted to women there's like another quote that was something like i'm sure that i like have a man's soul trapped in a woman's body falling in love with so many girls in my life and never with a man never with a man yeah and i think like there's like a lot of like it's just really wild i mean like and there was like a lot of queerness 
in and around like Boston's intellectual circles at the time and but I a lot of it was like lesbian and not much of like trans masculine identity but you know people with resources are like likely to be safer sure in these identities and it's just really it's really something the way that you know it was written about a lot and commented on says something to me um, about how notable it was and how much she was able to even express you know in her life I mean me and Graham were talking about maybe we should say they for Louisa um yeah but you know they're not here to say yay or nay um mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's but but I think it's just notable that this is definitely a queer person um no matter where you, the way you slice it in terms of gender expansion um and sexuality so um it's an important book just because of that because of the time perspective and all of that mm-hmm. yeah um, I do want to also say, you know, I touched on the lack of future projection. That's good. Louisa May yep. is gay. And also, you know, I want to make sure that we comment on even personally, you know, why does this film mean so much typically to AFAB and queer people in a similar way as, you know, I remember like now and then in A League of Their Own, Fried Green Tomatoes. Like, I feel like this is um there's so many different personalities and stuff with the little women first of all um and different as we've said as we've transcribed different identities on them is it possible that even without the language and all of that even without talking to each other you know about it that we were understanding that there were different ways of being afab you know even though the language was a little off no i think that's it's so true. I think for me, this, all of the movies that you named are, and uh, several of them you've already done on the pod, um, and I've really enjoyed those episodes, um, especially because two of them were my best friends. <laughs> One of them was also, I really enjoyed the brilliant person you had on for now and then. Reed and Bryce. I, yeah, they're like analytical like awesome <laughs> kind of way of looking at that film yes um stars for me <laughs> <Go on>. yeah, <laughs> um for me it was the fact that like i as an assigned female child who always projected like a masculine identity and like always identified with being gender non-conforming and before you hit puberty it's acceptable in some circles and you're branded a tomboy and I certainly was um we both had very like boyish streaks but I would say that I was more prototypically so absolutely um I'm definitely you know more of a I was just, girly <laughs> I, I yeah just really lhb tomboy like that was a huge part of my identity there was like i really the word tomboy was just like i latched onto it because yeah. there was like actually a word even though it's very negative to a lot of people for what i was and um you know that 
well, my gender has like not changed almost at all. I just have different <laughs> ways of talking about it now. But um, yeah, really having Joe March and Anne Shirley and um, Roberta now and then and Iggy and all of these people like be models for me where I saw myself in their stories. I mean, if you had just written about normal girl's life in any of these historical periods, it would not have sold as a film because that was like the most fucking boring life you could have. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and so it's only really these these characters that break from the norms, that break from gender, um, as they're supposed to, you know, at least how they're supposed to act, um, that make for a good story, which is why, you know, again, just it's always shocking to me when I talk to um people people that grew up assigned male and their lack of knowledge about any of the movies we're talking yeah. about I mean why would you watch a fucking movie about women playing baseball in the 40s you know again like parents being like it's gonna make him gay and right like, it's, it's so friggin weird unless you had a domineering sister i think is the kind of loophole right. for male kids that were like they made me play gilbert and like you know just stuff like that but it's really like it's just a total blind spot like even kids that grew up like in with kind of old-fashioned stuff around like we did or like you know some emphasis on history in the past it's just like totally not in their experience at all because there were so many male-centered stories about boys that they could it's like you know the tom sawyer and like every basically every adventure story ever written um like you know um call the wild like all the jack london stuff i mean why would you why would you watch a story about joe march when you have all this that's for you Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of like presumption that some stories don't even exist, you know, so it, even like I run into run into it all the time. Like, is there there's no POC version of this? Actually, there is a graphic novel, you know, released five years ago. Check it out. So that's totally. another issue. Um, is there anything you want to touch on before we get to the game? That was like really, really what I wanted to say about this kind of like significance of the movie for for me and um I think we saw this we'd have to ask mom but I think we saw it at the West Newton cinema oh which was like a charming movie theater uh, there was like a Brigham's across the street I think it was just I just have a really good memory of like not only seeing this in the theater but also, like when we would go with scouts to Orchard House, I think we went with Montessori School a few times too. Like just, um, and then in college, my friend Preeti was like me and Jen Lynch went to visit her when she was a docent there. <laughs> it was it just yeah fit into a lot of parts of my identity and um, I I don't know. I just fucking love it. I I own it on iTunes. It's like one of three <laughs> things I own. That's a movie, and I um, yeah, I spread the gospel of the 1994 Little Women. Totally. All the time. And I and I I do appreciate the new one, <laughs> and I think that there's some notes that it hits, uh, that this one does not. Um, uh, but we probably will end up doing it 
on the pod at a different time, but it's a very, very different movie. So I appreciate yeah. the, this movie so much. Um, we'll move on now to our game. We are going to do who wore it best, a uh, little mass hole edition is what I'm calling it. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, for uh, our listeners, just to understand Al and I both have uh, a lot of theater experience. Uh, there's a thespian background. Yeah, so. but it's all from the 90s. <laughs> it's all from the, well, not for me. I was featured in Top know, Bottom Top, uh, an outfit selection 2022. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> I mean, you're industry now, but like we have, we both had long periods of not doing any of that. Totally, totally. I play myself on, on Instagram now, so I kind of have theater experience. <laughs> yes, um, doing that mixology. Yeah, but it was very formative for us both. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, what that's something that I like about being a bartender and being like public historian mm-hmm. um, is just like the performance aspect of it. Like um, people often say to me when I'm bartending, uh, you know, like it's really fun to just watch you like making the drinks because it's like very like precise and it's fast and, you know, it is it's something pleasurable to look at and that's been a theme in American bartending the whole time. It's all connected. So we'll see how you do today on our dialogue game. We'll do our Meg line first. I'll I'll go first, this tradition. Okay. I'm fond of John. He's kind and serious and I'm not afraid of being poor. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember exactly how this one goes. Make it your own. Okay. I'm fond of John. He's kind and serious, and I'm not afraid of being poor. I love that. Meg's little bit of uh, heartfeltness. I felt more with yours. Uh, let's let's see uh, Trini Alvarado. I'm fond of Mr. Brooke. He's a good man. He's kind and serious, and I'm not afraid of being poor. Okay, and now uh, we'll move on to, uh, let's do Joe next. I'm sorry. Meg always makes me take the gentleman's part at home. It's a shame you don't know the lady's part. <laughs> take it away. Okay. Um, I actually think she's laughing this entire time. I'm sorry. Meg always makes me take the gentleman's part at home. It's a shame you don't know the lady's part. <laughs> And now Amy, Amy, of course, is an icon. <clears throat> Joe, how could you? You're one beauty. <laughs> that is such a dig. Like you had pretty hair and then you cut it off. Okay. Here we go. Kirsten Dunst. Joe, how could you? You're one beauty. <laughs> The desperation. It's such a short line. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. No, it's good. You did good. All right. Now we'll go for for Ms. Dunst. I sold my hair. Joe, <gasps> oh, how could you? You're one beauty. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Ms. Okay. Dunst, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're reacting to us doing Beth now. All right. Here we go. Yes. I'll go first. It's so sad. This is the saddest line in the movie. I had a single tear rolling down my This face. is super sad. I cried. Um, but I do think this is a really important and beautiful line. All right, here we go. Why does everyone want to go away? 
I love being home, but I don't like being left behind. Now I am the one going ahead. I am not afraid. I can be brave like you. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh God, I don't want to cry. Why does everyone want to go away? I love being home, but I don't like being left behind. Now I am the one going ahead. I am not afraid. I can be brave like you. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. All right. We'll see what Claire can do. Why does everyone want to go away? I love being home. But I don't like being left behind. Now I'm the one going ahead. I am not afraid. I can be brave like you. All right, y'all. Um, pew, pew, pew. You know, let us know who who wore it best. Was it your host, Jonathan Andre Culleton, our guest today, Al Culleton, or was it the women of Little Women? Tell us what you think. <laughs> <laughs> now, sorry. That was so fun. Now, before we move on, as our listeners know, Al is a queer mixologist of note. Today, I've asked them to help us out to see if there's some holiday drinks that might fit in for our movie so that y'all listeners can uh, take part. So, and not be, not, not practice temperance. Yes. So, obviously, we're going to include the whole recipe um yes. i guess in the show in notes? the show notes and um, in the stories yeah so we're gonna don't worry if you can't transcribe all of this right now but basically um when john asked me if i had a recipe that would fit in i've worked a lot and i'm kind of like my area of expertise is 19th century american drinks um so this is in my wheelhouse for sure um, but I noticed, like, I've always noticed in the movie that they mentioned Charles Dickens quite a bit because he, I believe he started gaining notoriety in, like, the 1830s or 40s. So I think 1830s and um, I think A Christmas Carol comes out in the early 1840s, um, which, of course, helped to popularize all these traditions. Um, that were kind of like the Germanification of English Christmas traditions, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, I thought about um, a recipe I developed a few years ago called Ebenezer's Punch, mm -hmm. which is based on Charles Dickens' own punch recipe that he sent to a friend in 1847. Um, and so my recipe is um, aged rum, so a nice like rum that's been aged in uh, barrels. Um, so it takes on nice color, it takes on all those nice vanilla and baking spice notes. And you infuse that with fresh pineapples. So you basically like let it sit um, together like overnight and then you strain it out. Um, and 
you then combine that with some nice nutty sherry, like an Oloroso sherry, um, and lemon juice, and then a homemade lemon syrup that you use like the actual lemon peels in, which is a very, it's a traditional part of punch is the getting the, extracting the oils out of the peels by using sugar. Not lime peels. Um, and then of course, yeah, it's true, but I, I do make a lot of punches with lime too which were also popular, obviously. Amy's trading them at school. Um, but yeah, this is a single serving punch so that you can make just like one at a time if that's what you wanted to do. Um, but you can buy it all in a shaker and you shake vigorously and then strain it into like a little punch glass or a little coupe glass. Um, and you, of course, like all punches at the time, great fresh nutmeg on top with a little, you know, grater. So um, it's a really beautiful kind of like capturing of like this Victorian Christmas um, aesthetic. And I just like notice that in, you know, when they're packing up Laurie's books, um, he's like, I don't think that I need to bring every <laughs> big in the book um, like, that I yeah, have here, which is everything he's ever written. And she's clearly very fond of it. She also, um, she also, uh, talks about um, in when they first are noticing him at the beginning of the movie um, they say do you think he's like a captive like Smee and Nicholas Nickleby so there's just a lot of these like little references um, but yeah I uh, uh, that's pretty much it for my drink nice. I will give you guys the whole recipe but yeah it's a fun one that is like, really easy to make in the pineapple rum if you have leftovers can be used to make a lot of other fun things like aged rum daiquiris which does use lime juice well more tidbits from Al and thank you so much for bringing that to us we'll have the recipe for you cheers So moving on to our gender icon award. So, um, you know, it's going to be somebody that um, I think is, uh, is is my gender icon this time. This isn't just the gender icon of the movie, but I feel like in AFABness, yeah, the character of Joe, like, really affected me. And of course, I was that little writer and reader you know just like her and i think mm -hmm. also the theater i really identified with her need for attention <laughs> as well yep. and totally. yeah the name joe the gender bendiness also you know another favorite joe of ours joe polnacek yep. of the facts of life mm -hmm. you know so that's another queer joe college, <laughs> joe college. here comes joe college so you know that for me is like another like ping you know another it was very queer name yeah. to me um and also mm -hmm. you know i i just think yeah this this movie is important to me on a gender level i think it it tells us that with the title a little bit but it really is one of those movies that, you know, you do the Bechtel te test on um, all these movies that they barely pass. And then you have a movie like this that is just so pervasively mm -hmm. like about gender and not the one that yeah. usually gets all the the attention. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me- Because it's like a family film. Right. Like in a lot of ways, you know, and I think that 
um it's podcasts like this and other kind of like queer run outlets that actually get attention for these movies that and stories in general that people see themselves in when there is a lack of material yeah. for queer children and i don't know how that's going to change as there's more and more that supports queer kids you know um i think it's like yeah i'm sure that there are like many downsides to our lack of stories but like the there's something that kind of goes along with how imaginative we as queer people have to be in this world and how outside of things we are that like it's just makes sense the way that we see ourselves and things that aren't necessarily built for us you know we make our own stories within these stories exactly and i as i've said on the podcast many times you know once we watch the movie it's essentially ours so you know we can interpret whatever way we like but it's the necessity to have to interpret and the lack of inclusion for industry reasons and things like that that yeah that's the history we need to move away from um so what is your gender icon then al I mean, I think it it is Joe, um, but I think that, like, my reasons don't differ that much from yours. Like, Joe was just, and it's really cool to hear what you identified with about Joe, you know, like, because you were so much more of the kid that was obviously going to be a writer right. and a, an artist and an actor and I was like I think that for a long time like people can really tell what I was gonna do with my You're life. So smart. Um I was hard to know. <laughs> thank you, Majay. Um no, but I think that like because you were you gravitated towards music and writing and acting and art like so much and I think that I was more like I was busy out busy expressing my gender <laughs> in playing with me, you know outside with these kids mm -hmm. and everything and like you know we both did a mix but I think that like yeah it's cool that like Joe was also a hero for you I think for me it was her like otherness that I really connected with and wanting to be perceived in a certain way yeah and to be free you know but I think like again that I like realized more and more about Lori in this watching of it and you know just that he is um I don't know just I I guess like I really enjoyed like thinking about the story in a different way and seeing him as like an evolving figure and I mean, this is a revelation. Like, do we need to write an academic paper on March sexualism? Yes, like, and and is, I mean, this is Friedrich like being an imaginary friend. I mean, this is like groundbreaking stuff here, but it's true that um, yeah, I love the way these male characters are kind of like pro proxies for how L. M. Alcott would have been in the world they're like projections of her desire to be in the world yeah. but she also shows us that 
she doesn't want to be someone else in some ways. Yeah. Like there, these people have like huge drawbacks, you know. <laughs> like, well, you know, super so flawed. it's just really, yeah, super flawed and like don't do anything with their privilege. Right. Like don't do what she would have done. Right. Like Laurie doesn't do what she would have done. You know, she's like, why would you? go and work for your grandfather right. and he's just like one one line answer like i can't go against the old man yep. <laughs> don't want the tap to be turned yep. off you know yep. like he's just not out there in the way she is yeah he's sad. so i don't know i think that like really it is like cool to see the male characters in the story as um how she would have done it differently yeah. or like you know showing us how the way that they live isn't like up to snuff amazing well i a double for joe that makes sense for me and i have a feeling that this episode is going to explode the combination of our most popular guest and this movie that you actually like. You know, people probably tuned in, so thank you so much for joining me for a lengthy discussion again today about a film through Queer Eyes. <laughs> yes, thank you. I had a wonderful time, Jay. You're just the best. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Um, I do want to remind all of our listeners, or I suppose I'm going to just say it, this is really the official announcement, the first time that we're, we're talking about this. Spookable is shooting February 3rd through 5th, 2023 in and around the Los Angeles area. This is not a drill. I'm happy to share that for the first time. Uh, starring Alexandra Gray, Marvel and Rex, executive produced by Zachary Drucker. We're so excited. I can't tell you how cool the meetings are right now for the department heads, the stuff that we're coming up with. So you can follow along at spookable underscore show on IG. Visit areyouspookable.com to find out about this T4T werewolf love story that's right so thank you so much for listening and tune in next week also for the new year's episode which is a crossover between world of rex pod that's marvel's pod and we're going to be doing astrology to predict 2023 for y'all so don't miss that that sounds fun anyway merry christmas is coming out christmas day so happy birthday al Thank you so much. I'm finally 39. You made it. Can I, can we, when we do the dialogue, can we do the Beth line last? Because I feel like I really need to work up to it. I thought you'd want to get it out of the way, but I got you, I got you. No, it's so sad, but it's also I so laughed important. out loud at all of her lines, and Graham was like, what? What are you laughing at? I said, it's because Beth is like a whole mood, and she's like low-key the Debbie Downer of the family. <laughs> she probably is. I mean, she's, not, she's high. She's like, I just wanted to... Like, you know, hope that the war would end. <laughs> oh my God, that's the best one. <laughs> what do you want, Beth? I'd like the war to be. Mother could come, could come home. Oh no, Beth. Okay, Beth.
We're not even going to that level with this. Amy was, well, I guess, wait, does Amy say she wants to She says that? something like that. She's like, I want facial reconstruction surgery. 